Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. If you think you'd be interested in internal medicine and possibly being a hospitalist, go check out our newest specialty stories podcast at medicalschoolhq.net. This is the pre-med year, session number 218. Hello and welcome to the pre-med years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to the Pre-Mid Years Podcast, a podcast that has been nominated two times for the Academy of Podcasters Awards Best in Science and Medicine pod, uh, category. So thank you for joining. If you don't subscribe to us in iTunes or on your Android device, please do. If you're listening to this through a website, know that there are easier ways to do it. Go check out medicalschoolhq.net slash subscribe to find out how. This week's guest is an awesome, awesome person, and she's going to talk about her story from growing up in another country and coming to the States and going back to her home country and thinking that she would never make it back to the States and then coming back to the States and having to deal with obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. This was a very different interview for me because Anna had a lot to say and she was a great storyteller. And so when I went back to listen to this, to edit it, every time I was like, oh, this doesn't need to be there, she would finish off what she was saying with an amazing anecdote or or she would just tie it together with why you need to understand that part of her life and, and how it's motivated her or helped her, or whatever it may be. So I left the majority of it unedited. I hope you enjoy listening to Anna as much as I enjoyed talking to her. Anna, welcome to the Pre-Med Years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I want to start with when you figured out in your life that you wanted to be a physician. 
I don't remember exactly what the age was, but I was living in in El Salvador, Central America, and um, I noticed how a lot of kids around me uh, who I used to play with would disappear. So I would ask, where are they? And um, my my parents, and um, they would say something like, well, they died of uh, diarrhea or... um, fever and I didn't understand what was that and so I began to be curious about that and I I started imagining like how can we how can we help as as a kid I was wondering how can why, why does that happen why should that happen so I began to be interested I think I was probably maybe five or six it, it was it was I think based on my environment okay so you're in El Salvador you're a young kid learning about death of relatively what we would consider benign things here in the States. What did you do from that point forward? So I I always like to talk about like that was the the planting of the seed, right? So what did you do to continue watering that seed? How did you gain experiences and continue to pursue this curiosity at that point? Right. I, my sister was a year older than I am. She had, um, diarrhea and she was sick and she also had also uh, she also had um some blisters and I didn't understand again what was that happening I was I I started experimenting with uh bricks and um it I have to give you the scenario is like you're living in this third world country we don't have water we're surrounded by uh, basically nothing we're walking without shoes and so I get these bricks and I mix water and I, I said, maybe this will help her. So I, I feed that to her uh, and thinking that that was medicine. Well, long story short, I got to beat down for that. But um, I remember that I started thinking about, okay, how can, how, what can I do? So I started experimenting, things like that. Um, after that, um, I, unfortunately, uh, my, my dad, uh, we, there was a civil war. And um, in El Mosote, that's where I was. Um, my dad had to go to California um, and work as a gardener there, and uh, earned enough money to send us back, uh, sent us to uh, uh, the United States, uh, California at that time. And when I was there, I realized that first there's water. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, you open a faucet and there's water. Uh, second thing, you know the elevators, electricity. I mean, we didn't have electricity every day. We had it three times a week. So uh, a lot of these things, and I felt rich. I felt like I can do anything. Everything was given to me. So I said, you know, um, and going to school, that's free. Uh, I mean, it's it's the United States. I'm there. I I thought that you had to pay for school everywhere, but not the United States. And I'm think, I'm talking about first grade. So going into first grade, not learning, not knowing English, and my teachers, first grade teachers, uh, elementary teachers, uh, telling me that um, there's programs for you to learn English, and uh, we're going to help you. And so getting that, that, that the gift of, of, of uh, I guess, just the basic necessities, uh, the water, uh, education, um, you know, electricity and, and, and the support from, from, from your country uh, made me realize that, man, I, I, 
I should look into this. What else can I do? Maybe I can find a cure for something. I still didn't know exactly what a doctor was. So um, my, my teachers in elementary school asked me, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, I never thought about that when I was in Salvador because I thought I was going to die. I mean, that's basically what it was. I mean, I never thought about that. So it, it, it opened my mind to, hey, what is, what is uh, out there? So um, I, my teachers in elementary school told me about college. And so um, she said, first thing is to get through high school, then go to college. And so I, I told them that, you know, what I was interested in is, you know, diseases. Like I was telling them my situation in El Salvador and I wanted to do something about them. So they said, you know, uh, and I said, I think I, I, I do want to become a doctor. How do, how do I do that? And, and, and that's how I, I started reading um, about college. That was my first step. To, to, to know that I wanted to pursue medicine is what are the steps to get there once you realize you have a passion for the, for the human life um, and, and how, how can you make this world better for everybody? You might not understand that it's medicine or it's nursing or it's pharmacy, but you have that. So how do you get there? And so I, I think that's... This person talking to other people, especially the role models. Unfortunately, my mom and dad are not educated, so I didn't have that at home. So my first role models were my teachers, uh, my counselors. So I think that's how um, it, it started. So your your <laughs> first step really was an unfortunate situation with the the Civil War coming to the states, which is very fortunate. Yeah, and and then realizing the opportunity, I I think it's it's amazing when when you grow up in the states, you're born here, you take everything for granted, and you're like, what? You you go to school, you you live longer than you live through diarrhea, you live through the flu, and and you're like, wow, it, it it's amazing what what can hit you when you when you realize that there's a whole life in front of you, so. Yeah. You you talked about mentors and role models. Obviously, you're coming from El Salvador, not speaking English, so you needed to learn that. How did you initially find a mentor who, and maybe you never did, who who looked like you, who was doing what you wanted to do, who spoke like you? Did did you try to seek out somebody like that? Um, no, and I didn't know. Uh, until I got to California that I was different, that I was Hispanic. And so I didn't know, understand race differences. Mm. So to me, I, I felt we were all the same. So I didn't seek for anybody like me, but I, I thought if my core values are respect, so my teachers, so I knew that that was a position that they wanted the best for me, so I should listen. And so I think that that was, you know, going with your core values, what do you believe in and seek those values? Um, and to me, at that young age, that's what it was. Now, um, after th this goes into a, a an interesting part of my life where uh, my mom was a... Uh, a victim of domestic violence. So she didn't speak for herself much. She was a homemaker. She is. I mean, she was, she's divorced now. Um, but my dad, not having, uh, he had a, a first grade education, didn't know how to read or write. 
So he wasn't really there to help me with schoolwork. And he also believed that women um, were beneath men and didn't believe in education. And so he wasn't uh, obviously a, a person that was going to uh, support me to go to school. So he, he said that um, health, education are for the rich people. It's not for you. And you should, you should work. So that was his thing. You have to work. So um, I, I, knowing all these opportunities I re- in California and the United States, I realized that that wasn't the case. That's what we do in Sabado. We work. So this is different. So I knew, I felt like, you know, he's wrong. So I didn't really listen to him on that. So I relied on, on my teachers. But wh- why I bring that up is important because the role modeling that you do not see at home you tend to seek sometimes indirectly with the people around you and you have to be paying attention to those cues, you know? And so I think that's what I did. What I wasn't getting at home, I was looking for, for in uh, in other people um, who had a position um, of uh, uh, maybe a uh, leadership. It might be a, a I mean, it might be a police officer. It might a, a profession, a doctor, in that case, it doesn't have to be just a teacher. Um, moving forward, uh, my my dad said that we didn't have uh, enough money. And so I, here I am thinking, hey, why don't we have money? If we're in the United States, why are we starving here? It's a different type of poverty. Now, what's going on, right? So, I mean, I was made fun of at school for not dressing well. I mean, uh, made fun of um, uh, obviously I'm Hispanic, so be, they would call me illegal. I mean, di- different other things, but going back to the poverty issue, um, I didn't understand why we were so poor, but in a different way compared to my classmates. So the reason, w- um, I, I, I didn't know then, um, but that at sixth grade, when I was in sixth grade, grad, uh, finished in sixth grade, my dad said that we needed to go back. My two sisters and I, and my mother go, go to El Salvador for a vacation. And, um, so we did got on a plane and went on vacation. Um, and I was, so I was going to start seventh grade. What was I like 12 or 13, whatever, probably 12. Um, and getting to El Salvador and now not learning and and having everything in the States and going back to El Salvador and looking at, oh my gosh, what is, I mean, I remember vaguely, um, the, the, the situ- I mean, my experiences there, but then they, they were, they became real. And I realized I need to get out of here. Uh, this is not a place for me. Um, sure. I want to see my, uh, my grandma, my grandpa, because most of my, my family died in the civil war. Um, and so anyway, uh, long story short, um, it's, it's September. I, I mean, it's towards the end of August and it's been a month and I, I, I'm asking my mom, Hey, when are we going back to the States? And, um, you know, we had to start school soon and school was a priority. I, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to go to college, become a doctor. I'm like, I need to get on this. Right. So, um, my mom said, well, I don't know. Your dad has not said anything about that. And so I said, okay, well, let me ask. So, uh, I call him and he tells me, well, um, you're, you're not coming back ever. And, he said, um, you're illegal. And so a parent who you trust has sent you to a third world country 
knowing very well that you're illegal, you have no way of coming back. I, I felt my whole dreams just shattered. And I get tearful when I think about that. Because now what do I do? I'm never going to be a doctor. How am I going to pay for school? I mean, everything just hit me. Um, and so the first, when you're encounter with a situation like that, and going back to your question, um, just to give you the background, is that at that moment when I felt everything was shattered, you have to go again with your core values and your core and your main necessities, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, food and water, right? So I say, well, I'm in this autumn. How am I going to feed myself? My dad is basically saying you're not coming back. And $100 a month he's sending us, basically, it's not going to be sufficient for my sisters and my mother. So I said, well, I need to feed myself and I need to feed my sisters. And my mom, she's never been able to work. I said, I need to get a job. And so interestingly, so here I am at 12, around that age, 12, looking for a job third world country. And I go uh, to a pharmacy because that's my interest, medicine. So I go to this pharmacy and yes, I'm, I'm guilty. I told them I was a little older to get a job. I told them I was 15 <laughs> and uh, I, I sold them on, hey, I speak English. You have um, uh, some uh, travelers, some uh, people that come here and they might speak English. And I'll be, you know, I want to be a doctor. I'm interested in medicine. So I get the job. So here I am in the pharmacy through a country at the counter getting prescriptions and you, and not knowing what they mean. But the owner of the pharmacy believed in me. And that's the key. You have to be sensitive about the people in those positions who, uh, I, again, is they, they as a position of creating change, position of le leadership. And so that pharmacist, um, her name is uh, uh, Lucy, um, but we call her Lucci. She, she tells me, uh, this is how you read a prescription. And this is what we do after we get the prescription, walks me through, and uh, they, this is how you mix certain, uh, you know, uh, medicine and blah 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 so she 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 tells me i'm fascinated and you know how does this work so i i thought i wanted to be a pharmacist at that point so, well maybe i should be a pharmacist and maybe you know the, the the doctor is is just seeing patients but what about maybe this is more interesting so anyway so i'm here at the pharmacy and um she tells me that after a few months of working there that she noticed that i have a I'm very dedicated. I'm hardworking. And would I like to go to, to, to a, a class to learn how to type prescriptions? And I say, sure. Like how to make the, add the, the labels of the, the, you know, the, the, the medication labels. I'm like, yeah. So I go in. I, point there is take, uh, take advantage of every opportunity. So, yes, send me there. Sign me up. I'm there. So I go there. I learn how to type. And then the next step was um, uh, reading um, the drugs, like drugs facts and comparison book in Spanish, of course. What are drugs for? And then when I was reading about what, 
with drugs, which I'm going to, I'm going to step back a bit. I was curious about medication and this is kind of funny is you put a starving kid there. I mean, I'm going to school early in the morning, like seven o'clock to two o'clock, then go to work from three to nine at the pharmacy. So I'm at the pharmacy. It's kind of slow day. And I, I and I see this this uh, medication in, in in liquid form that smell good, and I said, well, I wonder if they taste good. Me, and so yes, I tried some medication. I tried, and at the, uh, I didn't know what it was, but I one of them tasted good. I don't know what it was. So then I said, maybe I should try another one, a different kind. And so I did. Well, that one it, it was like phenobarbital, so it made me sick. So then that's why I I, I became curious of hey, how does this work? Why did I feel that way? So the, yeah, I started reading about the side effects and I, all that. So I became, I was, my curiosity led me to, the, to that. Um, thank goodness I didn't kill myself. But <laughs> uh, So yes, I took opportunity of learning about what I was doing at that time that was important for me to get to, me, to the overall goal. And so it might not be my goal then and there to be a pharmacist, but how can that help me to be a doctor, take the opportunity to learn and take that with me because I know I'm, I'm going to move forward and, and, and be the best I could be um, at that job. And so, and so that was key for me, uh, integrity, hard work everywhere, even if that's not the job that you're going to stay in forever, but it's going to be a, a stepping stone to your next. So I, I, I had a lot of... Uh, now, Lucci, the pharmacist, was my new role model there, as you can see. And so I asked her those questions about what about being a pharmacist? What about being a doctor? And so she, she, she gave me her input. And I, you know, I, 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 I didn't tell her then, but I was like, I think I still want to be a doctor. I think that it's, uh, I, I like that patient interaction in the pharmacy, but I also like to learn about the medication. So I think a physician has both. So um, it turns out that, going back to my story, is that she saw in me that, that need to learn, and so she invested in me. So what she did for me was uh, um, tell me, do you want to go back to the States? And I said, yeah, I'm trying to save money to take, go back. And she says, well, let me find out about your situation at the embassy of the, uh, the United States in, in El Salvador. And so she did. And so having, having a mentor, having people, not officially a mentor, I didn't know what it was called then, but I knew that she took interest in me in my future. And so she did, she looked at it, some information and gave it to me. I went to, to the embassy. I, I, now thinking about it, 12, 13 years old and, you know, Going to the embassy, uh, I took my mom because they wouldn't believe me. They would kick me out. So I'm like, Mom, you know, let's go. So we take a bus, three hour, three hour bus ride, with chickens and all in the bus, you know, and uh, and and found out that my dad had started a um, the application process for um, uh, the amnesty program because of the civil war, and how he stopped that process because obviously he didn't have money. Well, it turns out that we could pick up that process in El Salvador at the embassy. And so 
I decided with my older sister, we need to work and we need to fix our situation and get back to the state. But we made a pact. I have two sisters. My youngest sister is two years younger and my older, like I said, is one year. I said, well, we have to stick together. And if we go back to the state, none of us is going to be a failure. We're 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 going to be successful and we're going to get a degree and we're going to have to help each other. We're, we're doing it now and we should continue. We should not forget this experience. And so we did. And so we worked together. The little one, unfortunately, she was, I, I always tell her, you were useless. You were too young. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we basically, it's fair. She was too young. But my older sister worked at a, at a clothing store, um, uh, you know, the counter and, and, and measuring just like, you know, uh, just different things, uh, cleaning and stuff like that, sell, selling um, products. But uh, she worked and we figured out what we needed. We went through the checklist. And then uh, after two and a half years of being a seller and with the help of my pharmacist boss, she, uh, we ended up qualifying for everything. Um, uh, my dad, who I knew didn't want us to come back, uh, I lied and I don't feel bad about it. I know it was bad. Um, but I told them that, uh, I basically was a spokesperson, I guess, of my family. So I told them that, you know, um, we need some documents to, for a scholarship in El Salvador so that he can provide, like help his documents will provide some information for our, our, our green card for for us to come back to the States legally. And so he, he bought it. And so I, the point is that I didn't tell him the truth that we were going back because he didn't want us back. And I didn't understand why. Well, we get everything done and I was like, two and a half years. And, um, and let me go back to health. So I'm going to school and I'm noticing that the teachers there, their goals for us as students were to work to get married were completely different from what I was hearing in the States about college. And I said, what, what was going on? So it was very different. So I, I, I didn't see, even though they were, they wanted the best for me, that's what they thought was best for me, but I didn't believe that. So I didn't cling to that. So I continue with my mentor and an official mentor, the pharmacist. So, um, but my grades were important there. And that was one thing is that I realized that in order to be a doctor, you needed to pay, be a good student. I knew that because my teachers in the States had told me that. So I didn't take for granted that, oh, my life is it's over because I'm in a Salvador. But whatever I do now is going to affect my future. So your grades, whether it be, uh, I don't know, English in ninth grade. It's going to affect you on your MCAT. Your chemistry class in high school is going to affect you on your MCAT. So I didn't see that then, but I can see I, I was able to see it, you know, looking back. Anyway, my my dad um, didn't know we were going to show up. So so here we are. We get all our, our luggage, get on the plane from El Salvador to California. and We go back to our place, our house. Turns out we, no I, we knock at the door. And 
well, we don't knock, but basically go to our place. And my dad has a family that we didn't know about. And it all made sense. He had two, two families, so it was too expensive. It made sense while we were always poor. So um, basically, he, he told us, I didn't ask for you guys to come. Just leave. So again, my sister and my mom were alone in the States. He provided no support. And um, you go back to the core, your core necessities. Here we are again in the States. We need to feed ourselves. What do we do? Get a job. So uh, realizing what your needs are and you know, you, you realize you have to make, you have to, you have to get a, a job, but you have to make sure that that's not going to get in the way of your, your goals of becoming a doctor in my case. So you have to get a legal job, <laughs> basically. Um, uh, you know, that, that's the reality of things. So I, I tried and I thought it was legal. I went to a pharmacy. It said help wanted in downtown LA. And, um, they, he tells me, you know, about that time, I'm 14, uh, 13 or 14, and he tells me, about 14, he tells me the, the boss, the, the jewelry store, says, sure, uh, how much do you want to get paid? And I said, whatever you want. And I, I just want a job. I want to work, and I, I want to go to school. He says, okay, well, how about $10 a day? And I said, okay, sign me up. I was so happy. And I said, man, 50 bucks a week, you know? So... I said, you know, and I and I can go to school. Um, I thought that was great, but it turns out that I couldn't go to school because he wanted me to work eight hours. So then I realized, well, I tell the school that I can't I can't go to school in the morning, but can I go to school at night? And says, well, you're not old enough because you have to be sixteen or have a problem like being pregnant or uh, some other type of situation to go to those uh, after school programs. And so. Uh, the idea here is you have to find yourself thinking you're in a bad situation. How can you, how can you make this work for you to get to your overall goal? And how can you keep believing in yourself when you're encountered with all these adversities? How can you remain true to your, 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 your core values, your dreams? And so I didn't know it then. I am reflecting on it now. And I think those were the, uh, that I was sensitive to those things. I knew I wanted to be a doctor. I knew what my situation was. I knew I had to stay in school. I knew I had to get good grades. And so um, going, that, that's important for me to say. Um, now, going to the, the, the part where I get a job at $10 a day and not being able to go to school, um, Turns out I go back to my mom and says, mom, I got a job. And my little sister, again, as I tell her, she was useless. She was still going to school. But really, I'm, I'm joking. She, she, she was too young to work to help us. But my older sister, she also got a job. And she was, she was lucky to get $25 a day. I, and now I'm looking at it. It's like, wow, they sure ripped us off. <laughs> um, but uh, my, my dad used to come home to come to my he knew where we were, but he used to come and demand that we give him the money. So here we are again, making $10 a day, $25 a day, and my dad comes and wants that money. How, how do you overcome that? Well, you stand up for yourself and for what you believe. I said, no, we, I work 
support for this and you can't come and take our money basically. Um, and so we, I realized you have to, you have to protect those that are not able to protect yourself. In that case, my mom, she wasn't able to stand up for me. I felt I had to stand up for our family. And so I did. And, and my dad tells my mom, you know, you should, she's, she's telling me to leave. She's telling me not to, to get her money. And I, and I need it because of, I have bills or whatever. And turns out I was a bad person and I get kicked out of my own place for, for standing up. I didn't understand why I w- why was that wrong? But I knew it was the right thing to do for my family. So sometimes what seems right might be seen as wrong by other people, but that doesn't mean you're wrong. So step back away and realize what your what your intentions are, what's your objective. My objective was don't take advantage of people. You know, and standing up for that. So I ended up going to uh, uh, the jewelry place where I worked. And I said, hey, I, I just got kicked out. <laughs> you know, um, I, I, I can't find a place at $10 a day. You know, I, and there was a man who was older than me there and says, you can stay at my place. And I said, well, thank you. And he was like much older than me. So again, I, I was in my culture, the older you are. Uh, you have to respect, right? So I did, and I said thank you. So I go there, and the the, the sad truth is that um, uh, he took advantage of me. Uh, he 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 raped me, and I ended up pregnant. So here I am, fourteen years old, in this situation where I'm now pregnant. I'm working for ten dollars a day. Well, I actually got a raise. I was at twenty twenty or twenty five. So. <laughs> You're rich. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Now, how do I go from this situation to a doctor, right? Yeah, yeah. How do, how do you do that? You've overcome, at 14, you've overcome more than anybody should have to overcome in a lifetime. And yet you're still here thinking, I want to be a doctor. Yes. I, I want to go and, and serve others, and it's, it's what I'm meant to do. How how did you overcome that and and take those next steps? First of all, I'm not making a plug here, but my I didn't know what pregnancy was. Who uh, my parents are Catholic, mm. uh, they didn't talk about birth control. I I didn't know what rape was. I I I didn't know any of that. And so the first thing is, again, what do I do with this? alien basically growing inside me you know and uh, is I said now I have to provide for this human life inside me and so thinking about to to overcome your situation you have to again go back to your core values is protecting what you believe in protecting the innocent this is a person who's living inside me that didn't choose to be in this situation and how, how can I make her life better she, she turned out to be a girl uh you know she's 22 now um so how, how how can I make this better for her how can I make it better for me at that time I being a doctor became more of a dream that it un- untouchable Basically, at the, it, it, it's sad, 
it was there, but it was further away than it was. It, it just slipped my hands. And so my realizing that I need to provide for her made me again say, well, I can't be a doctor, but what else can I do? You know, to overcome the, the, the situation I'm at, I have to look at what is the, the overarching goal right now is to protect her, protect myself, protect my baby and have a, provide the basic necessities how can I get there and so you go and look for resources so I go to the prenatal appointments and I say well this is interesting I'm interested in medicine now I'm a patient well my uh, you know my first opportunity to live like a patient and you know so well I'm on the other side but it's okay I'm learning right so learning about you get free food here when you're pregnant. Well, WIC, uh, a woman and his children. Um, take advantage of that. You're going to save some money. You do that. But should you be on, 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 on those services forever? The answer is no. This is something there temporary. That's something to get you through. Don't get used to something that is providing the necessities you need right then to make it forever. So you have to understand it's a temporary fix. So, yes. So learning about resources and learning what those resources are for and not taking advantage of them. So um, overcoming that, again, resources and mentors. So I'm going to a doctor and I'm looking at that doctor and it's saying things like stay healthy. You're going to need to do this. And. Um, yes, yes, and I'm a good patient, and, and yes, uh, this is important. I'm interested in telling me to keep keep going to school. He's telling me, keep going to school. So I said, okay. So I, so I go to school, high school, and tell them I'm pregnant, and they say, you can't come here anymore because you're pregnant. Okay, so the next one is, where can I go? He goes, well, you have to go to an all-pregnant girl school. Uh, I'm like, okay, sign me up. I go there. And I say, yeah, sure, everybody's pregnant. But there's, I say, I, I don't, most of them were like gangsters and, and uh, you, you know, drug issues. And I was like, God, I don't belong here. But <laughs> they, did, they didn't have aspirations to be doctors. No, not <laughs> at all. And the class is there. So now I'm 14. And uh, the classes are, were meant. And, I'm, I, and I hate to talk, it's not talking bad, but it's the reality of society. That once you're pregnant, you are you need to go to a special school because you're special. And then in that school, the highest, I guess, uh, the the enrichment courses were bank tellers type of courses, cash for, cash register, um, not jobs. I mean, there were jobs, but not professions. And so what are, were those the aspirations? They thought a pregnant girl, that's all you could do. And to me, I, I was like, okay, I guess they know better because they're in a position that, of authority. So I'm going to listen to them. Sure. That's all they can do for me. So what is there that I can do in terms of health? That was still interested in that. And so they tell me, well, since you want to be a doctor, you should go into being a medical assistant. Okay, so I do that. Um, 
So actually, I'm gonna backtrack. I, oh, I had, this is critical. Um, going back to my pregnancy, uh, I delivered a, at this hospital called Martin Luther King Hospital in, um, in uh, Compton, California. That environment, that's where I was at during that time, just to give you an idea. And to get to the hospital, I had to take a bus, oh, the metro. This is 14 years old, taking a metro in labor. Not knowing what labor was. I thought I was probably, I don't know, I ate something like chorizo and eggs that was upsetting my stomach. And going to the hospital, and then I, I, I get there, and I'm a teen who's pregnant, and so the treatment I got was very different than what I, I thought I was going to get by, by, by the nurses. It was more like, here's a gurney, get in here, uh, but I'm in pain. Well, you didn't feel in pain when you were getting that blah, 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 thinking that the pregnancy was a choice and, and how I was labeled like that. Uh, important to mention that when I delivered, it was a resident physician who asked me, what are you going to do after you're discharged? So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go to school. And he says, what do you want to be? I said, well, I, I'm going to go for a medical assistant. Um, uh, or something like that, and something in health. And he says, is that what you always wanted to do? And I said, no, I wanted to be a doctor. And he says, what, what's going to stop you from that? And, and I don't know the resident. I didn't know. And he was not Hispanic. Again, it, it was, he was, uh, I, I believe now he, he was Asian. It's not that he here, you're Hispanic, I'm going to treat you and give you that pep talk that you need because we bond because of ethnic issues or race or et cetera. No, he did it because he cared. He cared about the person I was. So he tells me, you can still do it. And, and I believed him, and I'm glad I did. And so, um, again, in terms of what, how you overcome adversity is, those people that are encouraging you to pursue what you dream of, what you think you're meant to be in this life, you have to pay attention to this and you have to believe in them and you have to believe in yourself. So that was critical for me. So yeah, I did the medical assistant thing and um, my sister still working. Uh, 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 we lived together, my three, uh, my two sisters and my mom, and thank goodness for my mom that she never worked because she was able to take care of my daughter. So resources. This is one mom can't work, but she can take care of my daughter. And so, yeah, so she was able to take care of my daughter. I finished high school uh, in, in this continuation school. And um, I did that medical assistant thing and, and passed a certification. I went to one day of externship and I met the doctors and the medical assistants, and they told me what I was supposed to do. And I said, well, this is not what I thought it would be. You know, and I, I talked to my sisters, and, and by that time, my older sister got accepted to college. And, and, and interestingly, she didn't, want, she didn't know um, how she got accepted, um, but she told me that her advisor filled all her applications for her I mean, not, I mean, helped her. So she had a mentor that I didn't know about, but yes, uh, 
they, it was someone who was interested in her and she got accepted into college. And so I said, how do you get into college? So she told me how to do it. And basically said, this is how you do it. Don't bother me. I have tests coming. So get your own information. I'm here for you. But, you know, I'm busy right now. So I did. And get this. I go and I apply for college. Uh, Cal State LA, um, Golden Eagles, a shout out, uh, East LA. Uh, and the, the advisor tells me, uh, what would your major be? I said, well, I want to be a doctor. He says, well, there's different ways to get there. You know, biochemistry major. There's uh, chemistry, there's biology, um, political science. I mean, there's different ways that you can get there. But you're never going to get there because you're female, you're a teen mom. You're, at that time, I was 19. I was, at that time, I had uh, two kids. You need to get a job. I'm going to sign you up for nursing. So I said, well, he's in a position of authority. Seems like he cares about me. It's related to health. It's more than a medical assistant. Sounds like a good deal. Okay, sign me up. So here I am in college in the nurse, uh, in a nursing program. And I see around me uh, all the students that are not like me. They don't have kids, you know. But... I had my my experience with the patients as a nurse, as a student nurse, and I loved it. I said, man, this is really nice. This is something that you learn in books about diseases, and then you go and you, you, you actually experience and you make a change. And I said, wow, this is great. So I'm doing fine, and no problem going through like classes and, and I'm telling you I'm working I'm a single parent I'm working at a pharmacy still providing for my kids pharmacy jobs all the time and uh, still helping my mom blah 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 but the interesting is that I saw this is critical for all pre-meds out there I saw other students who were studying in the library with books organic chemistry physics um, and I said those are the those are the classes for pre-meds. Man, they're so smart. I, uh, yeah, I would have never, he was right. I would have never been able to be a doctor. I could have never take those, because I saw the open books. I said, what the hell is that? It's like different language. Uh, thank goodness I'm in nursing, because I would have never been able to do that. And that's how I talk myself of, talking myself out of becoming a doctor. It, it, I didn't know then, I know it now. It's like, I didn't think I was smart enough. How dare I think that, right? Uh, not being smart um, be, before trying. So anyway, so turns out, get do great in nursing school. I get hired, pass my boards in nursing, get hired at Kaiser Permanente. Shout out out there again for hiring me. Uh, it was um, in the, mater uh, the um, family center care. So we did labor and delivery, antepartum and postpartum care and, and uh, gynae uh, post-op care. And it was excellent for me. Um, it, it gave me that idea of the contact with patients, again, the medicine, but it really made me realize there are doctors here. There's residencies. I didn't know what a really what a resident was till I was there. And I said, they do more than I do for the patient. I'm not belittling nursing, but what I'm saying is to to treat a patient more comprehensively. 
I had to understand what I really wanted to do with my life and what I wanted for my patients to get out of my, ex- my experience with them. And I sure did want to do more, not better, but more. And so I realized that I needed uh, at that time, maybe I should, maybe I should go back to school and be a nurse practitioner. That's closest enough of being a doctor. I don't chemistry and physics. I don't, those are not the requirements for nurse practitioner. I said, let me look into that. And so I did go back and uh, go into the uh, family nurse practitioner program again at Cal CLA. And uh, the, first, uh, the first class, the first uh, clinical rotation as a nurse practitioner student, Dr. Silva, um, who is a family medicine doctor, in a low-income area, East LA, uh, El Sereno area where I grew up, underserved area, which that's usually where I belong. I mean, at that time, that's usually where I was. He he tells me, you know, welcome. You know, I'm here to help you. And uh, he treated me no different than he would treat a resident as a nurse practitioner. And there was a PA student, uh, Yvette, a wonderful um, person. And uh, he tells me, you know, we're going to go to the hospital and uh, we're going to round. And I said, what is that? I mean, like, what, what would be my role there? I didn't understand. But I'm glad he took me there to the hospital and do the rounds with him because I realized then when he asked me this question, he says, what did, did you ever, did you always wanted to be a nurse practitioner? And I said, no. He says, what did you want to do? I said, I wanted to be a doctor. And he says, so why didn't you do it? And I said, well, I'm old now. Like, I have kids and making all the excuses. Why not? Before addressing my fears, my real fears of failure. Uh, I understand that now. Um, And he tells me, well, I was in medical school and I had, I think I had three or four kids. He tells me that. Wow, I didn't know that you can do that. I didn't know you can go to medical school and have kids. And have a life. He says, and he says, well, he went to UC Davis. He says, um, there's a lot of programs out there that can help people who, who are, are non-traditional, which means basically you don't go from high school to college to, to college to med school. And so he's, you, you're very smart. I mean, he saw me work and I'm not bragging about myself, but he knew that I had a, some potential. So uh, I said, maybe he's right. And that, again, that he's a mentor. He believed in me. He was telling me what I need to go to get to do to get to the next level. And so being criti- being very specific about what your needs are, what your goal is. And then when you're in a situation, how can that environment help you to get there, to get to your goal? And so he was the one. Uh, that time that became my mentor. So I'm having that mentor at every stage. I'm still not, for, I'm not forgetting about the others. And I know when to tap on, tap, it will be a wrong word, but when to consult with them, uh, and, and, you know, if the opportunity arises. So selective mentoring, maybe, I don't know. Um, so Dr. Silva uh, basically said something like, you know, you should look into that. And so I did. Um, I, I know I'm taking a lot of the, the, the program's time. 
Uh, so I want to cut to to the important thing is that Dr. Silva, I told you about that PA student. I asked her, did you ever want to be a PA student? And she said, no. I always wanted to be a doctor. I said, what stopped you from? And she says, I got a really bad MCAT score. So, but I'm, I'm going to retake it and see how that goes. She was in her third, second year PA school, so you need three years. So what she did, she took the MCAT again, and she applied to medical school. She got into medical school. She's a resident now. I mean, I'm sorry, she just finished residency. She's, she has a long, um, she's, she's official. She's an OBGYN doctor. We kept in touch. Um, and so uh, when I went back to school, when I, when I realized that Dr. Silva was believing in me, and I hear from this girl who was a PA student who's about to graduate, who still wants to be a doctor, who's pursuing that, I saw her as a mentor as well. And so, yes, I, and, and my daughter at home, who was at that time in high school, says, I'm looking into colleges. I said, you can be anything you want to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she said, Mom, you didn't even do it for yourself. You always wanted to be a doctor. And look, you never tried. And she was just absolutely right. And so I, I, I gave it a chance. I tried. And you know what? I owed it to myself. And I owed it to my patients. And, and, and that's how I ended up applying to, to medical school with an this is, uh, this is legit, MCAT. Anybody pre-meds. My MCAT score on the record. My first MCAT score. No one likes to talk about scores, but I will. <laughs> Let me guess. Thir- Let me guess. Oh, you said it. Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. What were, What were you gonna say? I was gonna say fifteen. No, thirteen. Thirteen. Okay. So what do I do then? I said, well, let's see. Um, no, I'm not going to apply with a 13. I think it can do better than that. But I hear, go to AAMC, guys. Seriously, this is one thing. You have to use your, your resources. Go online. You're a good resource. You, anything that is going to channel you to be better. So looking at those resources and looking at what are the average scores? You know, how can you be competitive? Which are the programs that are going to offer what you need and who are going to take you for what you have to offer. So uh, like family medicine programs that have loan um, for, uh, forgiveness uh, um, programs, et cetera. The point is MCAT scores at 13. How do you move from there? Mm-hmm. So yes, you can do better, right? So you have to think about it. I, I, th- I get passionate about this, sorry. You have to think about it. You have three chances to apply to medical school. Think about it that way. The first time you apply, you apply with a low MCAT score. Okay, you get rejected. The second time you apply, you probably have a little bit of, a better score, but the fact that you get rejected the first cycle kind of hinders your application on the second chance. So on the third chance, uh, most schools have something that says we discourage you from applying if this is your second your second cycle applying. So you have to think about it. It, before you actually take the MCAT, if your practice scores are not above the or uh, average or close to the average, I mean, don't apply unless you have other things to help you with that. In my case, I, I didn't get accepted with a 13. I, I retook it and I got a 22. Mm. So is, is that good? No, 
it's not it's not good but it's it's not good for other people that are used to seeing the average of 30s 35s but for you you have to look in your situation what's your experience with patient care what adversities what leadership roles that can boost your mcat score quite a bit so you have to look at the whole package that you are so you have to believe in yourself to make that claim to make that claim that your mcat score does not define your acceptance into medical school yeah. and how and how can you do that well i said it all along my story fighting adversity being a leader sticking up for the people that can't taking uh, advantage of every opportunity being a good student having those grades and, and, and you can make a case for yourself and then apply to the programs uh, that are, are researcher programs and then when you get the interview you better be ready so practice because that's the opportunity to sell yourself as a as a doctor that you that you are going to be now that you're dreaming or people told you that, that you are going to be and so the questions that they're going to ask you are critical for you to understand how you're going to answer yeah how did you prepare for your interviews um with my mentors yeah so I, I yes so i went with my uh mentor who, who wrote my recommendation letters they believe in me to write and by the way you have to ask them whenever you ask for a letter write a strong mm-hmm. recommendation letter so i went to dr Sachs, who's an OBGYN. i love i love dr Sachs. uh he was he was a, a physician he's retired now at kaiser an OBGYN doctor so he he we, i met with him and uh, we went over questions. Says the first thing is about your MCAT score. They're gonna see your 13, they're gonna see your 20, what are you gonna say? So I said to, I said, this is honestly my, my answer. I said, you know, I work as a nurse in the labor and delivery area, uh, postpartum, et cetera. When there was an emergency, a C-section that was uh, the, uh, bleeding or antepartum bleeding, the first thing that came up was the patient and not an MCAT score. And to me, that was more important to have a physician that care about the patient, but no one's standing up and saying, okay, who has the 35? You know, <laughs> Paging all 35s, please report. <laughs> yes. Yes. Who, who got that OCAM highest score? No, that wasn't the case. And so, so that's how I prepared myself. I said, okay, how... Am I going to put myself in a situation where my, my weakness in the, in, the peop- in the application, which was MCAS score, does not reflect a weakness on my character as a person? Yeah. So mentors, also the, the online resources, uh, your website, uh, AMC uh, is one that I use a lot. Yeah. All right. So I have, I have a question. So sure. last week's podcast episode, as, as yours is going out, was mm-hmm. a discussion with Kaplan and talking about MCAT scores and how that relates to board scores and and success in medical school. And that's usually the biggest hang-up for medical schools is they see this 22 and they go, you're, you're a great nurse, you're in NP school, you obviously are successful, but are you successful enough 
to to pass classes in med school, to pass the boards. Did you struggle in med school? Did you struggle on step one of the boards? Um, as did I struggle in med school? Um, no. I I I'm I've never failed a class. Mm-hmm. Um, I passed step one, and I I passed it with a good score. Good. And uh, but I have to tell you. I thought I was going to mess up. I <laughs> everybody, thought I was there. Everybody thinks they're going to mess up. <laughs> right? But but here is the key. That school that you're applying to has a lot of resources and yeah. I'm resourceful. And so yeah. that's where you go and you look for resources. So in med school, you you take your first module, your first rotation, you have to see what do they offer for people who like me are are very scared of failing because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to fail. So I I did that. There's a lot of programs. There's a lot of resources. I think that's probably the the dozenth time that you've brought up resources, whether it was WIC or mentors or resources at medical school. Yes. When when I start talking to students that that work with me and, and I, I help them with their applications and we talk about their past performance and, and how poor it was if it was, it always seems like the number one thing was that they didn't go out and seek help from the resources that were available yes. to them. What? Why do you think you were able to just easily go out and seek the resources, yet the all of these other students out there, a majority of other students out there, don't do it? Do you, do you think it's a fear of acknowledging that they're not smart enough or good enough, a fear that they need help? Or is it they just are naive and don't know? Um, uh, it's uh, I'm going to answer in two ways. Um, one that I know about the resources is that they get they they hear from other classmates how hard it is, how medical school blah 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 is so hard blah blah that they get discouraged, and so going to look for a resource and they see man it is going to be hard. It validates that it's going to be hard when they look at the, the, okay, yes, you do need to do all these classes. Yes, you do need to get a certain score on this. And so it validates those fears and they, they don't want to confront those fears. And I think that when you go on Google and you look, what is the average MCAT score for whatever school? And then it comes up 35. Oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to do it. So what do you do next? Well, most likely if you're, if you don't want to confront your fears that you perhaps are not going to be able to do that, then you're not going to tap into those resources. So the first thing is accepting. Yes. That's what is going to, that's what's going to be required for me. I need to get a good score and it's going to be hard. How can I get there? That's the next question. So accepting that, you know, that the first way of answering that, that question is accepting your fears. Once you, realize that the, the, the resources are out there and they're, they're going to confirm those fears, accepting that. Second, th- and let me know if I don't answer your question uh, how, how, or if you don't understand what I mean because I tend to go on tangential. <laughs> um, but the second way to answer that question is believing that you're too smart. Mm. You've gone through high school. You've got, you know, without even studying, Yep. You got good grades. Yep. You go, you know, you go to college and you only studied, you know, four hours for the 
uh, final midterm and you ended up getting, you know, a B plus in OCHEM. Why do I need to go into resources? I'm good. Uh, and I'm going to take a, and I'm going to take the Kaplan and or I'm going to take Princeton. And and once you that signing up, it costs two thousand dollars. That makes it seem like I'm paying two thousand dollars to guarantee a good score. Um, so why do I need to tap into other resources other than what people, you know, those the more money I pay? Yeah. That guarantees a higher score. Yeah. Not really. I don't have to put any work in. I paid the money. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yeah. And so they get the so then they realize. Yep. I hope I answered your question. Yeah, no, that's perfect. What do you think you talked about interviews and preparing for interviews? How many interviews did you go on? I'm ashamed to say I only only went to let's see, one, two, four interviews. That's amazing. That's that's uh, three more than a lot of people get. <laughs> but uh, it, one was for the, I'm not putting down Caribbean schools, no way. Okay. Um, but one was Caribbean school. Two okay. were in Port, two were uh, in Puerto Rico. Okay. And it's still a U.S. school, by the way. A lot of yeah. people don't know that Puerto Rico's are, are U.S. schools. Yeah. And and that's how you go through resources and find out mm-hmm. if it's a U.S. school. What yeah. are what are the MCAT scores requirement? Guess what? Yeah. They took a lot lower. Yes. Well, there, there's uh, there's a reason for that, and it's because they still take the MCAT. And guess what? The MCAT is biased towards uh, ESL students, which, if, if you didn't know, they speak Spanish in Puerto Rico. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Yes. So, so I, yeah. And then Kansas. Yeah. Okay. And and you're at Kansas now. Yes. On on your interview path, what was the hardest question that came up? My MCAT. Yeah. And answering that question. And answering that question without, I have to make it clear, you cannot put yourself as a victim. Yep. Perfect. It's because my mom, it's because uh, dad, it's because I was poor, it's because, yeah. Uh, even though my in my situation, being poor was a legit yeah. situation, but I can I couldn't use it. Yeah. You have to realize that that's not, an, that's not a, uh, you, when you treat a patient, you can't say you you did my practice or something because you were poor at that time or whatever. Yeah. Uh, basically, that was the hardest question and the most important question um, uh, that they will ask you after that is, why do you want to become a doctor? Mm-hmm. Those are, I think that you know. And then the third one is, why are why are program? Exactly. Why do you think yeah. Kansas took a risk accepting you? Um, by the way, I don't know if you look at our stats in uh, KU, um, but they take um, about 90% in-state mm-hmm. students. I'm out of state. They only take about less than 20% out of state. So you have to be very qualified, I think, in order for you to get an interview. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, so, so first, uh, I, had to, I have to tell you that I, like, I looked at at the program and looked at their internal medicine program and their family medicine program. And I thought what they believed in the core values of what KU stood for were like mine. Mm-hmm. So that's how I ended up applying there. Um, their, their MCAT scores were higher than 22 as a, as an average. Um, and so, uh, but I felt like also they had, um, programs, um, that help minorities. They had a di- minority diversity, uh, program, um, and so th- those are the reasons why I applied. Now, to answer your, your question about why they took a risk, 
no, they were not filling their quota of Hispanics there. That's not true. Or they're female. That's not true. What KU believes in is um, that you have to look at somebody the way you look at a patient. The overall patient, not just his hypertension, mm-hmm. not just diabetes. And I think they looked at my situation and say, well, how the hell did this girl get from having parasites in El Salvador to becoming a nurse, a nurse practitioner, and, and having to take care now of t- two kids who are probably my, the interviewer's age, kid's age, you know? And so uh, in terms of leadership, in terms of adversity, you want a doctor, they, they want to they, they wanna produce a doctor that's not only going to practice medicine to the, to the utmost standards, but they want to produce a doctor that's going to be a leader in the community, a leader in, in, in change. They, they, they see the trends nowadays with health. They see the, 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 the chronic illnesses. They see that. So they, they take a chance, and I think at least I have not asked officially um, why in that way that you've asked me, but that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel that um, you, they, they want to produce a doctor that is, has the core values that they have at the same time. Yeah. And they want to make sure that their patients, if they KU, but also the patients of the whole United States, yeah. not only theirs. Now that you're in med school, you're finally realizing your five-year-old self dream, overcoming all these obstacles. What's what's the future hold for you? What are you thinking about practicing? Where do you want to live in the world? <laughs> um, my daughter, my youngest one, my last one, uh, she's 13. Uh, Mia Jimenez, a shout out to my little girl. She's in California. And so a residency for me ideally would be um, California to be close to my daughter. Uh, second will be uh, at KU Kansas because what they invested in me, in my education, um, and I, I, I am very grateful for that. I want to work for Kansas. I want to live in Kansas. Um, and I want to practice in Kansas in terms of specialty. Well. That's if they take me. But the other thing is, as a, as a, a applying for residency, sometimes you don't get matched there. So out there, is, I'm not only saying only for cancer, but please take me anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, the program that believes in my core values again, and I have to be comfortable with the program myself. And the specialty, um, I wanted to. I, I went into medical school thinking I wanted to do internal medicine a hundred percent. I want to be a nephrologist. Um, it changed. It changed last year um, to okay, maybe internal medicine, but maybe hematology. Mm-hmm. Uh, every rotation you take, sometimes it takes you to a different route. Then I, I then I look on my scores and I'm like, wow, I'm very good in neurology. Well, maybe I do want to go into neurology. Now here I'm I'm graduating this year uh in 2017. And so here I am thinking, well what the hell do I want to do? I mean, so you have to rank those. So right now I'm leading to course um uh, first choice would be internal medicine. Do that first and then look at what some specialists later and my backup either uh, neurology and OBGYN cuz uh 
familiar with that and I enjoyed the rotation. I did pretty good on the rotation. Yeah. So you ranked internal medicine programs uh, first? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you yeah. match in March coming up, March of 2017. Uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> match day is 2017. You, you'll match. Yeah. You, you'll be fine. So you're, you're um, going through that whole process now. Well, well go ahead. Yeah, I was actually going to say, um, actually, I'm not going to, I'm not applying for match 2017 this year. I, because of uh, my personal situation, I'm going to match 2018. I want to do some research. Um, I, I feel like the profession I go into or my specialty, I want to be sure I'm older. Mm-hmm. So sometimes going into an, a residency program, because that's what you think you, you're not too sure. And you're going to commit yourself to a place where you're going to have to live there for three years and then realize that's not what you want to do. I, I rather doing some research about it, both uh, in, in the field and I mean clinical research in the field that I want to practice in. I, I want to take that time. So I want to do match 2018. Okay. Well, if you haven't yet, you should check out our specialty stories podcast. La- yeah. Last week, again, as we released this episode, um, last week, was a nephrologist and two weeks before that was a neurologist so help help give you some insight into those worlds um and as as we wrap up here for a student that's struggling a a minority student who comes from a low socioeconomic background who has overcome obstacles like you've overcome and is continuing to doubt themselves what do you tell uh him or her to motivate them to continue forward? Um, what has helped me before in those situations, and I'm not sure this is going to work for everybody, but I'm pretty confident that it, that it might. And what helps me today is to tell myself that whatever chaos, whatever drama around you whatever circumstances adversity is temporary keyword temporary whatever's going on is going to pass just like a kidney stone a plug for <laughs> but no in all seriousness is to consider the situation you're in as a temporary situation because that makes you realize okay there's something else to look forward to in my case it was always what is the next step you have to take time every day, even in those situations where you feel down, uh, low, sad, uh, discouraged, to look at a positive. What is your goal? Look, you have to give five minutes, two minutes to say, I always want to be a doctor. Is this going to stop me? This is temporary. What, what are the resources? Who can I call? It, you cannot get stuck in there. If you do, you're, you're not giving yourself a chance, a real chance to be the best you could be. And you're negating your patience of a good physician. If that's your passion and if that's your calling. All right. Again, that was Anna sharing her story of her journey from growing up in El Salvador and coming to the U.S. and all of the obstacles that she overcame. So thank you, Anna, for sharing your story. I know that it will help many students listening to this, to listening to your story and understanding 
no matter what they're going through, take that and take that experience and whatever you're doing right now and keep pushing forward towards your ultimate goal and use those as little stepping stones. So thank you for that. All right, I want to take a second and thank a couple people that have left us ratings and reviews in iTunes. If you haven't done so, you can at medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. We have one here from Amber Devi that says, I don't know where I would be without it. I stumbled onto this podcast a few months ago and it has shaped my life so much. Thank you for that, Amber Devi. We have another one here from Doc Hopeful that says, For Future Docs by Docs. I think we should come up with a slogan, kind of like FUBU, FFDBD, although it doesn't really go that well. So I like that. It says, really the best I stumbled upon this podcast and found an incredible resource and community at Med School Hangouts on Facebook. Yes, if you are not part of our Hangouts, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash group. We have over 2,000 amazing students in there helping each other every week, or every day, actually. We have another one here from... Cheese RVA that says collaborative, informative, and downright awesome. As a non-tread pre-med student, this podcast has been an invaluable resource. The plethora of topics covered provides tremendous insight regarding the application cycle, what it's like to be a physician slash medical student, and has ultimately put a positive and motivational spin on the often tumultuous process of becoming a physician. Yes, I think that is one of the biggest things. I actually had a phone call recently with the director of one of the more well-known post-bac programs, and he checked out my podcast. And he was he liked my the, the fact that the podcast is very motivating and very positive and encouraging. So that's one of the things we try to do here. Uh, I, I will tell you the truth that medicine is not all all happy and, and glittery, but there are some amazing parts to it and well worth it in the end. All right, so again, medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes if you have not left a rating interview. I would greatly appreciate that. If you live in or around the Orlando area, I will be in town February 18th for University of Central Florida's Medical School Admissions Symposium. If you would like to go to that, go to ucfmsas.com slash maintenance. So the slash maintenance tells me that their website hasn't been updated yet, but that's okay. If you can't find that website, go to our hangout to medicalschoolhq.net slash group, and we'll have information in there. I will, I don't know if I'm speaking. I, I, I think I got in on this a little bit too late for speaking, but I will have a table there and we'll hopefully have my podcast equipment there and we can chat, and you can be on the podcast. And as always, I'll try to have a meetup after the symposium. We'll go out and have dinner and chat and talk and collaborate, which is what I like to do. All right, I think that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from Anna's story. I hope you have a great week. Keep pushing forward no matter what obstacles are in your way this week. Remember that the ultimate goal doesn't matter how fast you get there as long as you get there. Have a great week.